Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Dr. Childs and today we're going to be talking about how to lose weight with Hashimoto's and specifically I'm going to be talking about nine tips that I've developed over the course of time in treating a lot of these patients um, and tips that I've been using successfully in my practice. Um, and a lot of these things they should be uh, things that you can apply right away. Some maybe not, but the majority of them you should be able to start with right away. So let's get into this. What we're looking at right here is um, a blog post of mine. Um, and it's a pretty, it's a long one. So if, if you want, if you ever want to refer back to this for more information, for, for more information, sorry, please feel free to go to this website, um, to my website and check out this blog post. But what I want to do, you can read kind of through here. I'm going to jump down to a specific part here to get started. And that is the most frequently missed reasons for weight loss resistance. Um, and I'm talking about these four things because the majority of the time your doctor isn't looking for them. Um, you may present with weight loss resistance or, you know, which is essentially the inability to lose weight and you, you know something's wrong with your body, uh, but your doctor, you know, either isn't willing to order any other tests or just tells you to eat less and exercise more. That's not really gonna work if you have Hashimoto's. By now, I'm sure you already know that. Why? Because you have probably tried almost every diet that exists out there and you're not losing weight, right? So, um, I, I, and uh, again, let me talk about why you are probably having these issues. So, number one is something called body set point malfunction. malfunction. Um, essentially, what this is, is your body has a, um, a, a, well, specifically your hypothalamus in your brain sets a weight that your body should be at and it kind of um, has control over everything that that um, that interacts with your weight, right? So this might the hypothalamus will will instruct your body how much food you need to be eating, so it controls appetite. Um, it will also control um, the metabolism of your cells, so that's how much energy you're burning. And this this idea is called the body set point, right? So a malfunction of this body set point means exactly how it sounds. Your brain may be telling your body, hey, my weight is whatever, let's say 180 pounds. No matter what you do, if you if you drop down to 175, the body's going to make the changes to bring you back up to 180 pounds, right? So obviously that's not a good thing. Um, and some people get into this vicious cycle where even though they're doing the right things, it doesn't matter. Their, their, their weight will just not budge no matter what. And it, a lot of the times it has to do with this body set point. So there are some specific things you can do. A lot of the therapies I'm going to be outlining today um, will treat the body set point mal malfunction, but um, a really potent um, medication for, for helping with this is actually low-dose naltrexone. Um, and low LDN or low-dose naltrexone, I'm sure you guys know about this, um, can also be used to treat Hashimoto. So if you're on LDN, um, that, that's a potentially a good thing, right? Because it has the benefit to uh, lowering antibodies potentially and boosting your immune function. But in addition, if if you are able to lose weight, it can also help you keep that weight off. So that's a really potent medication I want to talk about um, for specifically for Hashimoto's patients, but also other people, other patient populations aside from those with just with Hashimoto's can have this body set point malfunction, by the way. But it just happens to be very common in Hashimoto's patients. So I want I want to bring that to your attention. Attention. The second thing is. Um, this, this concept called low resting metabolic rate, which is a fancy way of saying your metabolism is damaged, okay? And this, this happens, uh, a, you know, more often, um, or this happens very frequently in a lot of patients, all right? And usually it's the product of yo-yo dieting throughout life or uh, an extreme uh, instance of calorie-restricted dieting like the HCG diet or ideal protein diet. Any of those diets that consciously restrict calories for up to, 
um, you know, 21 days actually has been shown in the literature. If you're restricting your calories for up to, up to 21 days, you will have some degree of metabolic damage as a result of that. And that's manifested by a reduction in your resting energy expenditure, aka resting metabolism. All right. And when we talk about the most important aspect of, of consistently burning weight and not only not or burning fat and losing weight, but keeping it off is what is your metabolism. All right. So most people are obsessed with the idea that if I exercise more, I'll but burn more extra calories and I'll lose all this weight, right? Well, not really, because it, it turns out if you look at that, if you look at this just in terms of percentages, the amount of energy that your body, that you just require to live, right, to breathe, to eat, um, for your cells to function, for you, all of these just day-to-day -day activities accounts for like 95% of the total amount of calories that you burn, and you can only influence that small 5% by adding an exercise. So what happens is people focus on, they hyper-focus on that small 5% that's within their control, and they completely neglect the other 95%, which is this huge portion of actually how many calories they're burning at rest. So this idea of that low resting metabolic rate has great influence over your weight can, should not be ignored, right? It has profound influence on, on um, total weight and your ability to, to specifically lose weight. Now, there are some specific therapies that you can use to actually increase your resting uh, energy expenditure, usually called REE, but I'm just going to refer to it as metabolism for, for this discussion because it's, it's, it's simple. But there are some certain therapies that will increase your, your uh, metabolism. I'll talk about those a little bit later in this, this presentation here. So that's number two. Number three, this is a real, really big one. Um, real, really big one. Anyway, this is a big one, right? And it's called leptin resistance. So hopefully you guys are familiar, at least have heard of leptin. Um, if you haven't, let me just briefly tell you what it does. So basically it it's secreted by fat cells, right? So your fat cells, they do more than just um, give you cellulite and, and, and you know, uh, um, make make you uh, make your clothes don't fit very well, but they they have other functions, and one of those things is they secrete this this hormone called leptin. And what leptin does is it's supposed to it's supposed to feed back and tell your brain, hey, we've got enough fat stores. It's time that you know this person increases their metabolism. They reduce their diet. Let's let's start burning this fat that's there. Now, leptin resistance is a dysregulation of this, this system. So instead of your body doing those things, it doesn't get the message. So your body thinks you're in a state of starvation because it, it, it's resistant to the leptin that's floating around in your blood. So leptin le levels go higher and higher and higher. Meanwhile, the brain's like, we're starving, we're starving, we're starving. And you know, you're gaining more weight. You're constantly having food cravings, yada, yada, yada. So this is a vicious cycle and it has to be broken via some specific ways if you want to actually lose weight. But it becomes very important, especially with patients in Hashimoto's, but also other populations. This one's not as specific as the body set point malfunction, but definitely something you want to be addressing. Um, then the last one that that has um, it's not it's not quite as powerful or more as potent as these other three things we talked about, but gut imbalances, especially in Hashimoto's patients or hypothyroid patients, plays a very important role. Um, and it turns out that through a number of mechanisms, but usually due, through, uh, due to inflammatory processes from the changes in gut microbiota, from the effect that thyroid hormone has on the intestines, it results in changes in that bacteria of the microflora, which leads to inflammatory states, can lead to small intestinal bacteria overgrowth or small intestinal fungal overgrowth. These inflammatory states um, change the way that your body metabolizes food. You can actually absorb more nutrients from the food that you eat. And, and anyway, all of these things basically can lead to weight loss resistance or the inability to lose weight. Okay, so gut imbalances really needs to be addressed. And I'm, I'm not trying to harp on this, this idea of leaky gut. Nowadays, I feel like every patient that comes to see me like, well, someone told me I have leaky gut. Okay, great, but 
you know, this is different. This is not what I'm talking about. It does play a role, but it certainly isn't the most important thing. So if you go to a practitioner and they're like, hey, yeah, all of your weight is due to leaky gut. Eh, probably not. Okay, they, they, that's, that's probably just more buzzwords that they're throwing out at you. It's probably not all due to leaky gut or gut imbalances, although it maybe is playing a role. So anyway, those are the top four things that if you're, if you're looking to lose weight and you have Hashimoto's, now you need to make sure you're at least addressing these things. And again, I haven't even gotten to the nine tips about the weight loss in this article yet, but I want to make sure you guys are aware of these four specific things so that you know what to look for and how they um, interact with what I'm going to be talking about. So getting on to the next uh, section of this, I'm actually going to talk about the weight loss tips. Um, and so what we're going to do, and this is how I basically look at... Um, weight loss in Hashimoto's patients when they come into uh, my office. So number one, I always want to make sure, I'm always looking for what, what, is, what is the metabolism. So I, I was harping on just a minute ago this thing called resting energy expenditure or REE. And basically what I, what I like to do is I like to have my patients check their metabolism. Now you can do this through, through some fancy ways and you could do this through um, some cheap ways at, at home. And so there's, a, there's an easy way to do it and I talk about it here and that is to check your basal body temperature, okay? And your basal body temperature um, will be a reflection somewhat. Now, don't, don't hang your hat on this, but it can be a reflection indirectly of the amount of energy your body's producing, right? So if you look at, if you look at the body and think of, it, think of your body as just you know, trillions of cells, the cell's function is to produce energy in the form of ATP, right? That's what, that's what they do in the mitochondria. So a, a thyroid hormone's involved in this process as uh, there's a number of other things that are involved as well. Um, but the point is if you have low thyroid, you're going to have low energy production, right? And that's going to be manifested as low body temperature. So if we give you thyroid hormone or if we do any therapy that's designed to increase your energy, like, and, and I'm talking about your, ener your subjective um, sense of energy, but in addition, the amount of energy that each cell produces, then your body temperature should increase when we do that. And so indeed, it, it does actually. So what I've done here is I, and I've tracked this out, I have my patients do this, um, not everyone, but occasionally I'll have them do this. You can see this graph here is a, a picture of body temperatures taken, um, basal, basal body temperature taken throughout the day. Um, and you can see this is a very typical sort of presentation with hypothyroidism. The first two weeks of this, this woman, this is actually her cycle as well, but you can see this up and down sort of chaotic nature of the basal body temperatures fluctuating, you know, from 96 down to 92, all over the place. Like it's just going all over. Um, and, th and that's pretty standard. This is when she start first started the thyroid treatment. You can see then her body temperature spikes up with ovulation about two weeks. So this is right on the dot. Consistently stays elevated, which yes, does happen with ovulation. Stay, your body temp stays elevated by about one degree for about 10 days or so, you know, assuming a 28-day cycle, right? Um, and then at the end of this, you can see after this ovul ov ovulation phase of the body temperature has ended, ovulation is a, a small portion, but the body temperature stays elevated beyond that. It then drops down a little bit, but you can see the consistency here these last four days. Um, so you can see the change from this chaotic nature to what would be um, the equivalent over on this side and it's much more regulated, right? So you can see as a result of this therapy in this particular patient, body temperatures improved drastically, became less chaotic, much more stable, and more importantly, they increased, right? And so that's um, an indirect reflection of more energy production at the cellular level, which is good, we want that, right? Um, but the thing is, body temperature, um, it, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect science, right? It's just an indirect measure because other things can influence. So especially adrenal fatigue, medications can do this. If you have, you know, uh, ovulation in a woman will affect basal body temperature. So I'm showing you a graph here, which shows body temp. This is what I'm, this is what I'm saying. So if you look at 
If you look at the body temp, it goes up by about one degree, usually around day 14, stays elevated for about you know, nine to 10 days, then drops back down. So that's a, potent, that's a good way if you're looking for fertility that you can check to see, well, am I ovulating? And again, it's not perfect, but it is, a, what, it is something that you can do. So then I, I talk about several things you can do here um, to boost your metabolism if you think you have issues, right? So one of them is you have to make sure that you're not having any adrenal issues. And you, my recommendation for testing is using a Dutch urine test, um, which it, basically you check um, your you check urinary cortisol and cortisone metabolites at four intervals throughout the day. Um, it gives you some good data. I think that's better than salivary. I'm not going to dive into that right now. Um, second thing is you want to make sure that you avoid calorie-restricted diets. That That's a must. You cannot do any sort of calorie restriction if you hope to lose any weight because that's going to further damage your metabolism. You want to make sure that you're on the right dose and type of thyroid medication, which is usually going to be T3 for most individuals. So either T3 by itself or natural desiccated that includes T3. Um, and then another important thing is you want to make sure that you remove medications that can slow down your metabolism. So the most, uh, the, the ones that do the, um, that slow the metabolism down the most include any antidepressants, right? So that includes any of the SSRIs, SNRIs, but even things like Welbutrin and such can all slow them down. Narcotics will, will do that. Um, antieleptics or anti-seizure medications will do that. Obviously, I'm not telling you to stop taking your anti-seizure medications. If you're on them, you're on them for a good reason. I'm just letting you know that they can slow your metabolism. Blood pressure, blood pressure medications, specifically beta, beta blockers in this group do, steroids do, and a lot of different diabetic medications do, right? So if you have high insulin, if you, basically if you're on five plus medication, there's a good chance that one or more of those are going to be slowing down your metabolism. Another thing you can do, uh, make sure you're getting quality sleep, and then of course building, you know, adding exercise into that. Those are, those are kind of no-brainers there. Um, the second thing is that I'm going to elaborate on a little bit further is making sure that you are on the right type and dose of, of thyroid hormone replacement, all right? So what, what, what we need to say here is that there are, and I know most of you guys are up to date on this, we're not going to spend too much time, but basically if you have any hope of losing weight, it's going to be critical that you're on T3 of subform unless you're one of this small group of super converters, about 2% of the population, or at least the, the patients that I treat, about 2% have no issues converting T4 to T3. That's very unusual. I'd say about 1 in 50 falls into this category. The rest of you, which is the majority of you, are not, I mean, no offense, you're just not really good at converting T4 to T3, right? So you, you, you guys are going to need um, some form of T3, either NDT, uh, which is natural desiccated thyroid, um, or T3 by itself, right? Or some combination of NDT plus T3. You need something like that. Now, unfortunately for you guys, I would guess something like 95% of the, the patients with hypothyroidism in the U.S. are on some form of T4, and only a small, for, small portion of those people actually do well on T4, um, which means that a huge majority of you guys are probably being treated with the wrong medication. Now, this becomes critical because you really need to understand um, that T3 is the active form of, the, of thyroid hormone. So T3 has all the effects of thyroid in the body versus T4, which has potential, right? By itself, if it's converted to T3, great, it will do its job if it get, can get to T3. The problem is, it, it, in certain scenarios, it might not turn into T3, right? It might turn into reverse T3, which is an antithyroid metabolite. And that's where you can get into trouble. So you really need to understand thyroid resistance and reverse T3 levels. And so I, here I give you an example. So we're talking about Whenever, you, whenever somebody is ordering testing and, and you want to evaluate your thyroid, the two most important tests that you need to look at is free T3 
and reverse T3. I don't care so much about TSH or free T4 or thyroid antibodies, but if we're talking about, um, if you're curious, is your, are your tissues, is your body getting enough thyroid hormone, then the two tests that you really care about um, are free T3 and reverse T3, specifically the ratio between the two of those. So right here, I give you an example of some of some a patient's labs of mine. I do include the free T4 here and the TSH, just if you're curious. Um, but really what I want to focus on, the free T3 and the reverse T3. So if you look at her free T3, her, her result is 3.5. The range is 2.3 to 4.2. So she's kind of right in the middle, right? You'd be like, okay, well, that's pretty decent. I mean, it's not too shabby. But if you look at her reverse T3, that tells the rest of the story. So the reverse T3 is 18.8. Now, if you know anything about reverse T3, you know that you want reverse T3 to basically be as low as possible. Now, in this patient who is not taking thyroid medication, um, I know specifically, I know this patient. So she has a history of yo-yo dieting and calorie-restricted dieting, et cetera. Now, when we, putting this into context, her free T3 is okay, but her reverse T3 is off the charts high. So what is happening is she's having competition at the cellular level for binding with, and she, her free T3 is competing against the reverse T3 to try and get there to have the effects in the body. So she's basically being outcompeted by the bad guys with too few of the good guys. Now, this is why it's so critical to order these tests if you want to have a good idea of what's happening in the cells or in the body. And this, this, this concept is called thyroid resistance. All right, then we talk about, then I mentioned here, you can get some weight gain with Synthroid. It's a side effect. It's probably due to the, the um, conversion of, you know, if you supply the body with T4, that's the substrate to produce either T3 or T4. Now, most doctors... Um, would hope that you turn the T4 into T3 and everything's, you know, everything's great. Now, that doesn't always turn out to be the case, right? You're, you, you as an individual are likely to turn the T4 into reverse T3 and do the exact opposite of what you want or what the doctor is hoping happens. So if that's the case in you, that, that's obviously not a situation you want to be in. So that's why reverse T3, free T3 are very important, probably the two most important thyroid tests. Next thing I want to touch base on, so that's number two. Number three here is finding the best diet for you, all right? So especially in Hashimoto's, diet plays a huge role. I have a, a whole nother um, video on, on this and blog posts, tons of data on this if you want to look into it. Um, but for here, I'm not going to go into all those things, but what I want to point out is this. The diet that you need depends on you, you as an individual. So what I don't want you to do is say, okay, well, my you know, my friend did nutritional ketosis, she lost a bunch of weight, that's what I need to do, right? Eh, maybe, but, you know, probably not, or not necessarily. So your diet needs to be tailored to you. Now, I have specific ways that I do this in, in my patient base, but essentially what it boils down to is the amount of carbohydrate that the person needs um, is highly dependent upon what their, their, their first of all, their genetics um, some people can actually lose weight on higher, carbo higher carbohydrate diets, and you guys would be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It just trust me on that one. Some people metabolize them just fine, and they do perfectly fine, whereas other people need to consciously and actively restrict that amount of carbohydrate if they, if they want to um, have any sort of weight loss. It really just depends on the person, okay? Um, now, most of the, the data out there would probably have you believe that carbs need to be restricted, I would go against the grain and say that's depending upon the person, okay? Now, having said that, I do think there are, there are some general rules for Hashimoto's patients, and one of those is generally most people should be avoiding gluten, dairy, and soy products, okay? Um, that isn't universally true, but for the most part, most Hashimoto's patients do much better on that. Obviously, you don't really want to be counting your calories. You want to be full, though, okay? So what I will tell people is if, any, if you're doing any sort of diet, and it is causing you, causing your body to be hungry, that's an indication from your body. It's a sign that your body is saying, hey, you're not giving me enough calories. And that's an indication that this diet may lead to, 
to damaging of your metabolism, right? So it's very simple, right? You listen to your body, listen to what it's telling you, and don't don't damage it, right? It's it's very simple if you put it into, into that context. Um, you definitely, of course, want to avoid excessive sugary carbohydrates. I generally say a good place to start is around 20, 20 to 30% of total calories is carbs. Um, really just depends. Certain very low um, calorie uh, diets like the um, like HCG are obviously going to make things worse. You don't want to do that. Um, but also certain very, very low carbohydrate diets like nutritional ketosis, they're not right for everybody, especially Hashimoto's patients. So you got to play that one by ear. Um, I, I, you're, you know, you're going to freak out because I have case studies of patients losing tons of weight on my, on my blog using nutritional ketosis. But you know, that was because I, I know their history and I made that decision based off of clinical data. You know, I, I don't recommend you just go out there and jump to these diets because you heard it work for someone else. But if, if you're being guided by a physician or someone that, know, you know, has an understanding of these things in your body, that's, that's probably okay. Um, another important thing is to tailor your diet to your specific medical conditions. Um, so if you're having blood sugar issues, obviously you will want to avoid um, carbohydrates. So if you have insulin resistance, you're going to want to avoid those starchy carbohydrates and such. Um, adrenal fatigue, that's going to change the amount of carbohydrates that you have. And then also GI issues. So if you have SIBO or CIFO, um, you're going to want to change your diet, maybe low FODMAPs or SCD or GAPS or something along that, that, those lines. Okay. So point is, diet needs to be tailored to you specifically. Um, that's number three. Number four is you do need to be exercising, but you don't need to focus on exercise like you probably think you do. Now, you don't need to be somebody that's going out doing high-intensity interval training six to seven times per week at one hour uh, a piece, right? That's, that, I would say, is, is excessive for most people. Now, I do have a lot of patients that fall into this category. They, they feel like they can just brute force their way brute force their weight down by, you know, restricting their, their calories down to a thousand calories per day and then exercising one hour per day. That's a recipe for destroying your metabolism, not for losing weight and keeping it off. All right. So one of the problems though with exercising is that, uh, a lot of Hashimoto's patients have extreme fatigue. So generally what I will say is this, if you are cap if you are exercising, um, and you find that it is energizing to you, then continue that exercise. If you are exercising and you find that it is, you know, you're wiped out for one to two days afterwards, that's an indication that you should probably back down on your exercising routine, right? Again, it's very simple. Listen to your body. Um, but if you are somebody who gets energized by working out, then, then the best thing to do, obviously, is high-intensity interval training. So I talk about this specifically not because of the, the burning of calories, but the effects that it has on your body in terms of insulin sensitivity and leptin sensitivity is really where you get the benefit. All right, so we could talk about the science here. I'm not going to jump into that. You feel free to read these things if you'd like. Um, another important point for women is um, it's called uh, cycle syncing your exercise routine, Okay. So what, is, what happens in a woman is that she has varying levels of testosterone throughout her, um, throughout her cycle as well as estrogen and progesterone. And so your, the woman or, or your ability to basically exercise changes throughout the month, right? Meaning that you may be more pro or you may find that high intensity exercise tends to um, be easier in the beginning of the month, whereas yoga and Pilates and things like that, more relaxing sort of exercises, uh, are better for you later in the month. So match those things, uh, match these exercising and how you feel in terms of your energy level to your cycle. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty smooth thing to do, but it works out quite well. Now we talked about we talked about gut health a little bit already, but for number five, um, what I want to do, we'll just mention a couple things here. So the two biggest issues that I see um, causing weight loss resistance in many patients are small intestinal bacteria overgrowth and small intestinal fungal overgrowth. Now forget leaky gut and some of these other things. If you fix these main problems, usually 
the, the, the gut issues will at least improve drastically. And then with the addition of the right type of thyroid hormone will usually take care of itself. Okay. Now I do mention here some proteolytic enzymes and um, some probiotics that you can start with almost immediately. And that would be probably a very first but minor step in the right direction. I only say that because treating the gut can be very complex. So this is not the topic we're going to be focusing on. I think I have other videos on SIBO specifically and such, but, um, without taking 30 minutes just describing what I'm talking about here. A good place to start if you haven't already, and I would consider probiotics a, a staple in terms of you know basic nutrients that you'd want to be on. Um, take, the, take the probiotic and then eat, you know take proteolytic enzymes or enzymes to help digest your food. The reason is because in, in Hashimoto's and hypothyroid patients, um, they don't always get enough stomach acid as a result of that hypothyroidism, which leads to malabsorption, decreased mineral and nutrients absorption. Specifically though, um, iron and B12 seem to be hit pretty hard if you have low thyroid. Okay, so that's number five, gut issues. I know we glossed over that one. This Number six is you have to make sure you're reducing inflammation. So we need to we need to differentiate inflammation in your body from autoimmunity. Okay, so a lot of patients will look at their look at their antibodies um, and, and assume that because they have high antibodies that they're they obviously must be inflamed in their body. That always that isn't always true, okay? Um, antibodies don't always correlate with disease progression. Now, I've had plenty of patients who, you know, symptomatically have, are improving on medication and treatment. Um, their CRP and ESR numbers, which are markers of inflammation, are dropping, but antibody, antibodies go up or stay the same. And they're, they're really freaked out about that. They're, Why are my antibodies so high? It turns out that antibodies don't necessarily correlate with the progression of your disease, okay? And that's for a number of reasons. But the point here is I want to differentiate the autoimmunity from the inflammatory um, component. Now, if you do have inflammation in your body, that has got to be addressed. You are not going to lose weight if there is active inflammation. Now, what's more important than the fact that you have inflammation is where the heck is it coming from, right? You need to be looking for the source of that inflammation. And in most cases, I find it's either gut-related, well, in Hashimoto specifically, it's usually gut-related or GI-related, or it has something to do with um, inflammatory triggers from the food that you're consuming, um, or it's hormonal base, right? So these are these are the, the biggest uh, issues that need to be addressed in Hashimoto. So of course, the treatment of this is going to be focusing on those issues. All right, now the basics, I've, I've given you some things here that you can kind of focus on in terms of the basics, but it really is basics, managing stress, sleep, um, diet, gut issues, and exercise, right? That, that makes sense. Um, so we'll move on from there. Feel free to go back and read through this if you want to elaborate further on the treatment here. Uh, I just want to gloss over this for you. Um, so number seven is you have to make sure you balance your adrenal and cortisol levels. Now this should go without saying, but um, hopefully you know what cortisol is already. So cortisol is a stress hormone that's um, produced by the adrenal glands in your body. And your adrenal glands uh, produce cortisol in response to stress. So the more stress you're under, the more that your body will have a higher uh, demand for producing this cortisol. And then cortisol by itself worsens insulin resistance, which can lead to weight gain. And cortisol can also cause these issues. So you kind of have this double whammy of high cortisol, high insulin, progressing, causing fatigue, on a number of other symptoms, which I will go over. So how do you know if you have it? Generally speaking, well, there's several ways. You can actually test for this using the Dutch testing I mentioned previously. Or you can, you can, well, I should say not or, but and you can, you can compare your symptoms to this list that I've given you here. So these are the main symptoms that I see. So number one, crushing and debilitating fatigue. Yes, I know hypothyroidism can cause this also, um, but uh, adrenal issues can cause this by itself. Uh, patients with uh, adrenal, adrenal issues tend to have extreme salt and sugar cravings. They have issues with blood sugar maintenance. So, um, fluctuations through blood, blood sugar throughout the day is another issue. They may have low blood pressure or unstable blood pressure, especially if they go from sitting to standing. 
They may have brain fog um, or sluggish brain function. Again, another potential symptom of hypothyroidism. Sex drive takes a hit and then a bunch of other symptoms. So you can look at those. Um, really, I, I won't go over too much here about how to treat this. It just make sure it needs to be addressed. You, you cannot ignore it if you have any hope of trying to lose weight here, but generally that involves cutting out caffeine. I also include alcohol in there. You need to make sure you're actually consuming enough of the salt, uh, especially my recommendation would be Himalayan pink or Celtic sea salt. It has some extra added minerals in there. Um, I usually will recommend taking some sort of adaptogen, um, potentially even adrenal glandulars. It really just depends, right? So you know those as ashwagandha, rhodiola, uh, ginseng, holy basil, etc. Um, vitamin C, I always have patients uh, who have really, really, really bad um, adrenal issues take uh, sodium ascorbate because I like that it's bound to the sodium component and then also gives you a healthy dose of vitamin C. Um, some of these patients tend to, if you have adrenal issues, tend to consume several meals throughout the day as opposed to several real, or a couple really big meals. Um, and then potentially you might need um, adrenal hormone supplementation. So that may include DHEA or pregnenolone or potentially even hydrocortisone. Now, I don't like to do hydrocortisone because it's really just masking the problem. But in some severe, severe cases, it seems that there's some, some certain patients have really bad HPA dysregulation, um, which does require some hydrocortisone in, in these patients, at least temporarily. Okay, so just make sure um, that you are, you know, you're addressing your adrenal issues um, if you, if you want to lose weight with uh, Hashimoto's. Here's another really, really big one. I'd probably put them, I, I don't know why this is number eight, probably should be number one. Forget that. The point is, this is probably the most. It has the carries the most weight when we're talking about weight loss. That is reversing leptin resistance and insulin resistance. So I know we talked about leptin a little bit, um, but I want to talk about insulin resistance. These two guys really work in tandem with one another. And unfortunately, when you have insulin resistance and you have leptin resistance, you almost always have thyroid resistance. Okay, and so this is why I, you can usually tell people. You know, if they come in, they're like, well, I'm on four grains of NDT and, you know, I, I can't lose weight or whatever. It's probably because they're not addressing the leptin or the insulin levels. And because if you have thyroid resistance, these patients tend to do better on higher levels of T3 medication by itself, right? So in order to address this issue, you need to make sure that you, first of all, diagnose what's going on uh, and then treat it adequately. So how do you treat it? So leptin, leptin is a, can be very difficult to treat if, if you're not familiar with it. Um, it requires basically that you address the other hormone imbalances. So you need to make sure you address the insulin resistance. You need to make sure that all the other things that we're talking about are souped up. Diet, exercise, sleep, all those things need to be in order. Insulin needs to be taken care of. You need to be on the proper amount of T3 medication. And then you can address the leptin levels. And in that case, you may actually need to add on some specific medications like the GLP-1 agonist um, or, or uh, amylin agonist. So these, these medications can actually really um, help drop those leptin levels and allow the body to be in a situation where it can actually lose weight and keep it off. Now, occasionally for very, very intense patients, you'll have to, you'll do these medications, you'll drop the weight, then you'll have to give them the LDN so you reset the body uh, set point so that the weight that they kept off, let's say they lose 20 pounds, they actually keep it off. So you can see it kind of becomes a juggling act, but you really have to have understanding about these things if you have any hope of not only losing the weight, but keeping it off. But those are, those are advanced uh, patients, not everyone falls in that category. Next thing is, almost out of breath from that one. Next thing is, uh, last one is you have to make sure you're avoiding endocrine disruptors and xenoestrogens. Um, I will take a second to, to show you here that um, this is a study that was put out by the Endocrine Society basically saying that um, EDCs or endocrine dis disrupting chemicals are ubiquitous, meaning they're all over the place. You're coming into contact with them uh, on a daily basis and they have influence on your hormones. So what they do is they actually affect your thyroid function without affecting your TSH. So they talk about here how that is um, 
probably not, you know, the way that we look at thyroid will probably be changed in the next several years um, as a result of, of these findings, but it hasn't quite yet. So how do you avoid these things? First of all, you want to stop touching receipts, drink out of glass only containers, stop drinking out of plastic, drink filtered water, um, don't, uh, don't put plastic in the microwave, of course. Try, just don't touch plastic at all if possible. I know that's going to be difficult, but try not to touch soft plastic stuff. Obviously, you want to eat organic and grass-fed, avoid fragrance, and then um, avoid cosmetics. Make sure that your cosmetics don't, aren't loaded with um, anything that's um, toxic or can be absorbed transdermally through the skin since you're putting it on the face and it's around your, your mouth and your nose, so you're breathing these things in potentially or absorbing it um, mucosally. So make sure you, you're addressing those things as well. So what I've done here, um, I hope this has been helpful for you guys. I know we ran through all of these things. Each of these by itself could easily be um, an entire video. Um, but what I wanted to do, my hope here was just to give you an idea of actually what it takes for patients um, to lose weight with Hashimoto's, right? Now, not everyone's going to be as, as um, complicated as requiring every single one of these steps, but this is really the way that if you're hoping to lose weight and keep it off, this is the approach that you should be taking to the diagnosis, treatment, and management um, of your weight. And I would put a lot of importance on this specific um, method that I've used to kind of go through here. So um, again, use this information. Please go back and read through it. I think it's something like 6,000 words, so it's quite long, um, but it's loaded with information and, and clinical studies. And anyway, I hope that you guys really found this helpful. If you have any questions, please make sure you leave them in the comments below. Subscribe if you haven't already. Um, and if you're watching this on the podcast, please come to this website and um, leave your comments in the, in the comment section below, and I will get back to you personally. Anyway, good talking with you guys. Bye.